I'm back, and in this hour, Dr. Talia Omer, Professor of Religion, Conflict, and Peace Studies at the University of Notre Dame, and Dr. Stephen Zunas, a Professor of Politics and International Studies at the University of San Francisco, are joining me, and they both are here to help me and all of you listeners and viewers make sense of the role of religion in this geopolitical crisis that we have watched play out. We've seen these horrific images of children, of women, who've been killed in the Gaza Strip. We know 1,400 uh, Jewish people were killed when uh, Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. But I, I think the history and the history of religion in both of these, with respect to both of these groups is important to put in perspective. So we know in Jewish and biblical history, Jerusalem was the capital of the kingdom of Israel during the reign of King David. Uh, it's also the home of the Temple Mount and the Western Wall, which are both, both highly sanctified sites in Judaism. And then you have in Islamic history, uh, Jerusalem was the first Muslim uh, you know, uh, direction where you had Muslims uh, facing uh, during their prayer. It's also the place where the prophet Muhammad's uh, Isra, as they call it, uh, occurred, that's the bringing forth and ascension to heaven, also called the night journey ensued. Now, this is all according to the Quran. So I want to start with you, Professor Zunas. You have these two histories, uh, biblical history, mm -hmm. with Judaism and uh, the Islamic faith making Jerusalem such an important focal point. Given that, and these focal, the, you know, these two religions are in, in many ways, uh, diametrically opposite of each other, what is the prospect of any kind of peace or bringing them together if they both are laying claim to start with Jerusalem as a city? Well, first of all, really, it's, it's not first and foremost a religious conflict per se. It's, it's a conflict of competing nationalisms of two peoples who see historic claim for the same land. Now, of course, it's exacerbated by religious passions, and there are obviously people who are pretty hardcore, or what we might call in, in, in the Western world regarding Christian Christianity, fundamentalist uh, beliefs. Uh, but that, but 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 it's it's not really about religion. Jews and Muslims and Christians lived in peace and harmony in the Middle East for many many centuries. Um, it's kind of like Northern Ireland. I mean, not really fighting about. Protestantism and Catholicism per se, it's about competing nationalism, you know, when the Protestants are, are pro-Great Britain and the Catholics are, are pro-Irish Republic, you know, so, and, and, uh, but the, um, so the, you know, so the issue is who should control the land? And the people on both sides who like to share it, either in a two-state solution of a viable Palestinian state alongside Israel or some bi-national state that, uh, you know, where each side has equal rights. Uh, right now, in, in recent history, of course, Israel has the upper hand. Uh, they have the guns. They have the U.S. support. They have they have all that. Um, but you know, the Hamas attack is horrific as it was. You know, last month they weren't killing them because they were Jews per se, but because Hamas saw them essentially, you know, as colonizers. I mean, this is like Mau Mau in Kenya killing British colonialists, or or the FLN in Algeria killing French colonialists, or or whatever. Uh, again, doesn't justify it, but and certainly there are those because of their passions and anger will turn to genuine anti-Semitic kind of beliefs, and you know, so it's not wrong to say Hamas is an anti-Semitic organization, 
But, you know, the, the root is, is, is basically a, a conflict around Zionism, Jews seeing it as a national liberation movement for Jews and historically oppressed people, and, and Palestinians seeing it as a colonial settler movement that they have to resist. So, Dr. Uh, Omar, we, I want to just ask you, is this fact or fiction? Because we hear these two statements made often. And the first one is that there is a Jewish plan to destroy uh, you know, the mosque, uh, in all mosques, really, and to build the Jewish Third Temple on its remnants. Uh, I guess it's an asqua? asqua. So is that fact or fiction? Is there something you is there a Jewish plan essentially to destroy you know the 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 Muslim population that is occupying or that is you know living in proximity to Israel? Yeah, I think you referred uh, specifically to the uh, uh, a particular movement uh, called the Third Temple uh, movement that is fixated on uh, the destruction of the Al Aqsa Mosque. Uh, the site of the ascension of, uh, in the Quranic narrative, the ascension of Muhammad, the prophet, uh, in the night journey that you refer to in the introduction. Uh, but I want to, I, I want to, to, uh, to walk back just a moment in order to get to, uh, to, 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 to your question. Uh, it is, I, I uh, completely agree, um, uh, with Professor uh, Zunas' uh, argument that it's not at the core, the issue, what we see today unfolding is not about, um, religion, uh, and uh, uh, this is very, very critical because we don't want to abstract uh, the conversation from the concreteness of the reality of, um, uh, of domination, of occupation, of uh, settler colonialism, and also this notion of the, um, uh, the, the, the point about the competing nationalism that do intersect with particular understanding in the context of, um, uh, of Zionism, Jewish nationalism, uh, with a particular a particular reading of Jewish history uh, and identity, and uh, uh, that and and kind of a key point is to recognize that when we talk about religious traditions, we talk about historical uh, realities embodied and embedded historical realities that are shifting and dynamic and changing, and that every religious tradition is internally contested, and there are multiple understanding of what does it mean. And in fact, Zionism, Jewish nationalism, as a movement emerged in Europe and the late 19th century in a particular context. Uh, and in fact, most of the, um, of the rabbis, most of the, of the religious people at the time really looked at, the, at, at Zionism as a completely heretical movement, as a subversive movement, because it talked about a return to the land uh, in historical time, not in the meta-historical time, waiting for the messianic moment. Um, and it was, uh, it understood itself as, as, as a human initiated rather than divinely initiated. So in fact, Zionism as a movement was totally subversive within the religious tradition. And finally, I get to your point about the the, the, the plan to uh, to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque, um, the Haram al-Sharif. Uh, so there is a current within uh, modern Jewish Zionist uh, history uh, that coalesced and grew uh, uh, over, um, especially in, um, since 2000, uh, the year 2000 grew in terms of its uh, influence that is focused explicitly on the uh, basically uh, 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 overtaking or, or, or the destruction of um, uh, uh, of the site or introducing Jewish presence in the site in violation of uh, long status quo of this uh, site that is considered to be a waqf, an endowment 
uh, a Muslim endowment, meaning that uh, Muslims are the, the, the caretaker of the place. And so over the years, you saw more and more incursions of um, uh, Jewish settlers and activists uh, that are influenced by particular um, particular kind of uh, very extremist uh, uh, reading and understanding of uh, um, of, of, of Israel, uh, and they've become stronger and stronger and stronger in recent years. And in fact, some of those uh, elements within this movement found themselves uh, in strong um, uh, position of influence in uh, Netanyahu's current coalition. So let me ask you this, uh, Professor Zun, as you said that, you know, obviously we, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that this is at the core nationalistic movements on both parts of, you know, both the Palestinians, I assume you're saying, and the Jewish uh, community. Is this fact or fiction that uh, Muslims, and, and maybe it's not all Muslims because that would be too broad, but maybe it's just Hamas. Does Hamas hold the annihilation of Jews at the core of their belief? Is that fact or fiction? Well, they certainly don't want Jews in their land. <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't want to kill Jews world over, but they do. Uh, they, 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 they see basically all the all the Jews as as colonists, as uh, as part of an imperialist movement to take their land, and would and definitely want them out of there by by one, but either by mass deportation or by mass killing. Now, of course, you know there are hardline parties in Israel, including those in the coalition government that's ruling Israel right now that want to physically expel and kill, you know, uh, all the Palestinians as well. You know, so, you know, there are there 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 are hardliners on either side. I should also mention that Hamas does not represent the majority of Palestinians. Um, the last time they had an election back in 2000, uh, uh, 2006, they did get a, a plurality of the vote in the parliament, but that was more of a protest vote over the corruption and ineptitude of the more moderate secular Palestine Authority. It wasn't an endorsement necessarily of their extreme, you know, kind of uh, uh, ideology. And uh, they they're able to seize the Gaza Strip by force uh, after Israel uh, withdrew. Uh, from there, when the Bush administration attempted a coup to try to force Hamas uh, out of the uh, Palestinian uh, parliament, and they staged a counter coup and ended up taking it over. So, uh, so in other words, I don't want to downplay the extremism of Hamas. They really are bad news. But I want to emphasize to your listeners that that's not the way most Palestinians feel. That's not the way the recognized Palestine Authority that controls some segments of the West Bank feels. You know that um, the majority of Palestinians are willing to live in peace uh, with, with Israel, uh, but uh, uh, know, Hamas is definitely uh, uh, very extreme. Well, you know, you you raise such a good point, and one of the questions I have that is kind of puzzling to me is: we talk about Hamas and we talk about the Palestinians, and we use these terms. You know, we're grossly generalizing, like all Palestinians or all of Hamas. How large of the Palestinians? population that's in the Gaza Strip, like what percentage of that would represent this extremist Hamas wing? Because I don't, I, you know, my little undeveloped brain about war tactics, it seems like to me that if we could identify who Hamas is, there must be some better, more surgical, more tactical way to eliminate them without the casualties that we're seeing of Palestinians that aren't 
a part of Hamas. So do we know what those numbers are? Well, well, you know, it, 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 uh, it you know, they, they rule Hamas, uh, Gaza Strip as an authoritarian state in a sense. I mean, they, they ban opposition and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's hard to tell. You know, I mean, the, 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 the siege that, that, that the Israelis have put on, on the Gaza Strip, the fact that every few years they've had these horrific bombing campaigns and things like that have radicalized the population. I mean, they could, you know, have as much as a quarter to a third of popular support. But what we're dealing with right now, is the fact that there are only about 30,000 Hamas fighters total, and Israel is bombing a, a crowded urban enclave, essentially a ghetto, of 2.2 million people. And that of the 11, 12,000 people who have died, you know, 80 to 90% of those have been civilians. We're talking as many as 4,000 children, you know, who have been killed by this this one of the heaviest bombing campaigns in world history of 11,000 uh, bombs have fallen on these uh, on, on on the enclave. I mean, this is a slaughter of, of epic proportions, and um, I mean, it is it is really a, yeah, a war crime uh, by a, a war crime by by any any uh, any measure. And so, let me ask you this: the okay, that the United thank States, you for giving me that you know, the number, Biden administration, and you know, I'm saying thank you for giving me that number because I have not heard that number. I've been wondering how come we can't quantify uh, this better. So, uh, Dr. Omer, there are 30,000 Hamas fighters. Can't the technology that Israel has, wouldn't you expect a, a country that advanced to be able to identify better where those 30,000 fighters are and to be able to target their attacks in a way that strikes those 30,000 fighters rather than, as Dr. Zuna said, this bombing of these concentrated areas where you're ending up killing 90% of people who we said are not the 30,000 fighters. That's what's so puzzling to, I think, so many of us who are watching this is you think about a war, you know where the soldiers are, you know where the enemy is, and you go surgically to where they are and you take them out. When we come forward, I want to get your take on that and also talk about why evangelics in the U.S. are standing so firmly with Israel on this crisis. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back with Dr. Alicia Omer and Dr. Stephen Zunas. So Dr. Omer, uh, again, we were talking about Dr. Zunas helped us identify that there are about 30,000 Hamas fighters. And we've been told for years that Israel has one of the most sophisticated uh, military apparatus, operations, intelligence organizations. In light of that, how come we don't see them targeting and identifying those 30,000 fighters and surgically attacking those people, those 30,000 Hamas fighters versus this kind of just, you know, blanket bombardment of schools and hospitals and neighborhoods? Yeah, uh, this is a really question I want to um, uh, to highlight first, uh, a few things. Well, first of all, it really is important um, to understand Hamas, the Hamas movement, uh, as a movement for national liberation. Uh, yes, there are aspects of the movement that engages in in violence, uh, but uh, but there are other dimensions of the movement, political, social. It has 
deep roots uh, in um, Palestinian resistance and broader um, kind of mobilization in the region. Um, and, and this is very important because at the core of it, the Hamas movement represents the aspiration of Palestinians for freedom and dignity and human rights uh, and recognition. Uh, and so even if you destroy all of Hamas, which is supposedly the, 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 um, the objective uh, of uh, this massive assault, and I agree with um, Professor uh, Zunes that uh, we, we see violation of international law over violation of international law. There are so many layers of violations and, um, uh, and horror that is happening that you described uh, so well. So even if you destroy all of Hamas, um, another Hamas will emerge because it is about the aspiration to, uh, for liberation, for national liberation. So, uh, so, so this is a very important uh, point. And with respect to the, to, to the question of why do we see this indiscriminate assault and, and in fact uh, also uh, a massive um, ethnic cleansing and, uh, um, for, for once from the, the northern part of, of, of Gaza to the southern part, but also with recognition that there is no nowhere nowhere safe uh, there is no safe space in Gaza. It's even if all those people who who move to the south are still bombarded. Uh, 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 this uh, connects to um, uh, to actually the, the earlier question about the uh, the Third Temple movement, the, the movement to um, uh, that that seeks Jewish presence in the Haram al-Sharif and the Al-Aqsa Mosque um, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, this is um, uh, there has been for a long time uh, a very uh, explicit discourse about um, um, about ethnic cleansing. I mean, of course, there there is the trauma of 1948 of the Nakba of the catastrophe of a massive ethnic cleansing. But throughout all these years, and especially since the the, the so-called peace process, the Oslo framework, we see a, a gradual ethnic cleansing in the West Bank now accelerated under the fog of war. And wh what we see is the implementation of uh, a plan um, uh, to, um, to to move. Um, uh, to, to move pal pa uh, Palestinians and concentrate Palestinians on a smaller and smaller and smaller uh, piece of land. This has a long history going back at least 100 years of uh, maximizing um, um, uh, Jewish um, uh, Jewish domination, Jewish uh, Jewish Zionist Israeli uh, control over land, maximizing land and minimizing Palestinian people, the indigenous people on that land. And we see kind of an acceleration under the, the discourse of the war and discourse of defense. And we, uh, and as we spoke about earlier, there are very, very extremist elements within uh, the coalition, within the government around Netanyahu that have been explicitly talking about, uh, about a second Nakba. And for many Palestinians, they experience the images of people moving in mass from the north to the south of Gaza really is triggering uh, that foundational memory of this ethnic cleansing. So this is also connects to um, uh, to the point that, uh, and of course, the, the discourse of defense, of self-defense, um, um, uh, really from the perspective of Israel, presumably gives uh, a cover. Uh, of course, this is crumbling very quickly with the, the, the opposition um, but also it connects the fact that so many people uh, um, are killed in the process of supposedly identifying the Hamas headquarters and so, uh, shows the level of years and years and years of dehumanization of Palestinians. I mean, you heard some officials uh, like Naftali Bennett or former prime minister of Israel uh, explode on a TV interviewer who asked 
asking about Palestinian civilians. Like, there, there is no such thing. I mean, what, what, why are you asking me about Palestinian civilians? Um, so, so that really illuminates the level of dehumanization that, uh, that undergirds this, um, uh, this um, assault. And so is that is Dr. Zunas, is that dehumanization that Dr. Omer just talked about, is that why we don't see Israel trying to isolate those 30,000 fighters and just annihilate them? Is it really a bigger strategy? Exactly. I mean, the, the, I mean, really, I, I, it, this is, it is a racist government. Let's be clear. It is a racist government that doesn't care about Palestinian lives, that uh, they are quite explicit. I mean, Israel has built what uh, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, uh, United Nations, what is, uh, Israeli human rights groups like that, Selim, have called an apartheid system. This is not that different than what we saw in white rule South Africa uh, for, for many years. That they are okay, well, hold on a second, Dr. Zunas. Uh, Dr. Zunas, hold on a second. So you just said something very important, apartheid South Africa, something that all of my listeners and viewers can identify with. The U.S. fought against that apartheid system. How is it, if this is similar to that that we saw in South Africa, how is it that we now have Joe Biden and the administration, not just Biden, but the Senate and Congress, wrapping their arms so tightly around Israel? Well, I mean, there's a whole combination of factors. I mean, Israel's considered an important strategic U.S. ally. Remember, you know, the U.S. supported uh, these uh, regimes in uh, Central America in the 1980s that were slaughtering all sorts of people. We were supporting Saudi Arabia uh, in recent years when they were bombing Yemen. They killed tens of thousands of, of people uh, in, in, in that war. Uh, our, our own government carpet-bombed Vietnam, you know, and killing countless people there. I mean, they're in our foreign policy, you know, we are we are quite willing uh, to uh, go against our our, our our democratic values, especially if the victims are people of color. Um, you know, I mean, in the in the apartheid era, Reagan was supporting South Africa and uh, opposing campaigns for boycott, divestment, and sanctions there, just like uh, Biden does. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's sad. And and the thing is, what what's interesting is that eighty percent of Democrats. In fact, two thirds of Americans overall support a ceasefire. The Catholic Church, the, the 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 Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, most Protestant denominations that have spoken out, the mainline Protestant denominations, I should say, not the fundamentalists, but the mainline ones, you know, they're calling for a ceasefire. Countries around the world have called for a ceasefire. The Secretary General, Amnesty International. I mean, I mean, the United States really is an international outlier in many many respects on this issue, and uh, and and, and uh, it's really uh, it's really a scam. I mean. This, this, I, mean, I, I think Gaza is to Biden what Vietnam, you know, was to Lyndon Johnson. Here's a guy who has a pretty, pretty good, decent, progressive domestic agenda, but a really hawkish foreign policy uh, that is quite shocking and on a legal and moral terms, and is alienating, you know, much of his uh, liberal base. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's deep. Uh, when we come forward, got to go there about these evangelic Christians. I think you've already told us why, uh, Dr. Zunas, why they are standing with Israel. But I'll let the experts say it out of their own mouths because you you guys are putting it down today. And I, I'm so grateful for this, this history lesson that you're giving all of us. When we come forward, more on KBLA Talk 1580.
All right, Dr. Omer, I want to talk about evangelical leaders in the U.S. Over 2,000 uh, have signed a letter saying they fully support Israel's right and, as they call it, duty to defend itself against further attack. Now, in this letter, they don't mention or you know give any credence to the Palestinians who uh, have been under attack, the more than 10,000 who have died as a result of the attacks by Israel. Help us understand why certain Christians, not all, but certain Christian evangelical leaders in the U.S. are so uh, stridently behind Jews or the Jewish, uh, you know, Israel, Israel in this crisis. Yeah, um, thank you. This is a really important question and often overlooked. I mean, there is, of course, always the argument that were mentioned earlier about the geopolitics of the U.S., but also there, um, there is a lot of scholarship that shows, and I think that actually the, the, the current moment really exemplifies it, that in fact it's against American interests from just even a realist perspective to, in, to get to be involved in the way that in which it is involved. In fact, the United States right now is complicit um, with what is happening in, in Gaza um, and, and beyond that. But, um, uh, but, but yeah, there is a long history uh, of uh, what is called Christian Zionism. Um, in fact, Christian Zionism uh, emerged to the foreground as, um, um, as a theology uh, before Jewish uh, Zionism emerged uh, to the foreground. And in Christian, Christian Zionists from the very beginning of the history of political Zionism facilitated uh, the project of political Zionism. For, for instance, Lord Balfour, who um, the British Lord who promised the land to the um, to Palestine, to the Jews, uh, was he a restorationist? Was embedded within a restorationist theology, uh, which is Christian Zionist, which believes that um, uh, for the the Christian kind of uh, end time theology, the eschatology, um, uh, the Jews needed to quote-unquote, return to the land of Zion in order for the Messiah to uh, to, to return. Uh, of course, Lord Balfour and many other kind of Christian actors are not, we can understand them reductively as they are only motivated by their theology, but the, the theology, but they are embedded within uh, uh, this, uh, this um, uh, theology. So in terms of the United States, there is a long history of um, um, of uh, of of Zionism across the board of the, the, the spectrum, the political spectrum. In recent years, mm. um, uh, because of the uh, different convergences of, uh, of forces, the settlers, uh, the Israeli Jewish settlers, mm -hmm. lobby, and uh, and what we spoke about earlier, this uh, third, third temple uh, uh, institute uh, facilitated a lot of uh, tours um, for uh, uh, GOP uh, uh, people, people in the Republican Party that become more and more supportive, not only of um, of Zionism in a limited way, but in an ex, uh, expansionist kind of uh, uh, understanding of Jewish supremacy on the entire land, hmm. um, and uh, uh, and so so we have kind of a long history, long rootedness in understanding of uh, the instrumental understanding of the relationship between. Um, the project of Zionism, the political project of Zionism, of Jews, and uh, kind of the Christian uh, worldview. And this is not some sort of, uh, and this is uh, uh, rooted in a kind of, um, in particular text, the prof uh, particular kind of prophecy about the end time. Uh, but it's really important to understand the power of this, because, and, and especially going back to, um, to the administration of um, uh, former President uh, Trump, we have people who were uh, like Mike Pence, for instance, um, ex uh, really explicitly embedded within this uh, uh, 
this theology and giving speeches in Israel along the lines of this is uh, this land was promised to the Jews, this is your land, or you have at the time Mike Pompeo was Secretary of State um, saying that uh, the word occupation doesn't apply because um, uh, because the land belongs uh, to 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 the Jews. So we have that atmosphere, um, and in fact, during the Trump administration, we saw actual like policy action on this that are very clear, uh, like the, um, the 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 relocation of the um, American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which is really a key event, m- m- uh, potentially very much behind the. Um, uh, what primed this Hamas attack on of October seven, along other uh, other other issues, including the normalization um, uh, of Israel with with uh, countries in the region that um, made um, you know, that kind of um, again didn't see the Palestinian mm-hmm. issue as something that needs to be to be grappled with mm-hmm. and addressed, uh, but wanted it to go uh, to go away. Uh, we have actually the largest, and this is also according to the former um, ambassador, um, Israeli ambassador in the U.S., the largest um, uh, chunk of the American population that is supportive of uh, um, kind of Israeli Jewish supremacist um, apartheid type uh, uh, policies and approach are Christian evangelicals. Much, I mean, they're numerically, they're much larger than, um, uh, than than Jewish Americans. And in addition to that, it's really important to note, and maybe you you've seen that many American Jews are mobilizing very much against the, the policies of the Israeli government, and they're saying, "Don't do it in my name. Don't do it in our name." Yeah, no, absolutely, I have seen that. Uh, yeah, we're running out of time, Professor Zonis. I want to ask you this last question: How come we are not hearing more conversations? And statements like the one you made about the role that racism uh, plays in this and any conversation oh. using language like colonizing apartheid, like Dr. Omar <clears throat> said, uh, when people use those words, they get called anti-Semitic and they get highly challenged and criticized. Yeah. So, well, well, yeah, I, I'm sure you're... <laughs> Well, as I'm sure your your listeners know, white America has a real hard time talking about race in general, you know, and so in foreign policy, it's no exception. And, you know, especially these 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 right wing Christian evangelicals and most of these guys are actually anti-Semitic. I mean, they really do. do, do these people really don't like Jews, but they want to use Jews for the second coming. I mean, they see God as some kind of cosmic real estate agent, you know, who says, oh, this belongs to, to Israel. And when and when when Christ comes again, it will, you know. Kill all, kill all the non-believers, including all the Jews and, and whatever. And yet, they're the ones who are really pushing U.S. support for Israel for their own kind of of a, a messianic, you know, kind of world uh, worldview. Um, but you know, the the, the 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 I mean, they see the return of Jews, you know, part of the God's promise. But that happened that that happened back in the Babylonian exile. That happened a couple thousand years ago. This is modern Zionism is not the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, whatever they might say. But 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 back to your question, you know, the idea is is that, um, you know, if these are white people being bombed, you know, by Israel, you know, we wouldn't have this kind of thing. Like when Serbia was ethnically cleansing and bombing Kosovo because of terrorism from the KLA, the U.S. turned around and started bombing Serbia. You know, we we defended these people. You know, we were defending. The, we, we we get all upset about Russia bombing civilians in Ukraine. I mean, Israel's killed more civilians in the past five weeks. Then Russia has killed Ukraine civilians the past 20 months. Yeah, we're all upset about these white Ukrainians dying under under Russian bombs and invasion. 
and yet we're defending Israel when, when, when it goes. So, yeah, this is very much about racism. I think it's really incumbent that we, we talk about this quite, quite, quite frank, frankly. And that, uh, you know, again, this doesn't justify Hamas terrorism or anything like that. But we are talking about uh, Israel. I mean, and again, it's not all Israelis and certainly not all Jews. But, uh, you know, the Israeli government is a pretty overtly racist state and the U.S. is aiding and abetting it. I mean, you know something? If, if Biden was agreeing with, I mean, all, like I say, all the major mainline churches have come out for a ceasefire. Only the fundamentalist churches are supporting Israel's war. You know, Biden side with the fundamentalists on LGBTQ issues or abortion or whatever, white liberals would be freaking out. But, but, you know, when he's siding with them on killing people of color, you know, Biden is still considered this nice Democrat. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the racism issue is pretty core here. I'm really glad that you are, you know, you, you're emphasizing it here. Yeah, no, thank you for talking about it, because this is such a delicate issue. And, and a lot of people feel as if they can't have honest conversations about what's happening for fear of being called anti-Semitic for fear of you know saying that you're not empathizing with the 1400 people that were killed uh, by Hamas for fear of being labeled as someone that is supportive of terrorists or supportive of Hamas. So I thank both of you, uh, Dr. Zunas and Dr. Omer for your honest and, and accurate assessment. We've got to have honest conversations like this if we're going to have an understanding of what's happening uh, in that region. And if we're going to be able to hold our government in the US account, for the role that we are playing for pain uh, in the atrocities that we are really watching unfold before our very eyes. We are out of time, such an interesting conversation. Thanks so much to both of you for your brilliance, your knowledge, uh, and for sharing it with us today. I'd love to have both of you back as we continue to try to unpack what's happening in this region because it is having a profound impact on our politics uh, in the US as we move forward to our presidential election. So again, thank you for joining us. The next voice that you hear will be Robin Ayers in the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580.